This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History puddle. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. Welcome to the Full Slate NFL Week 5 Pick'em Pod. I'm your co-host, Cody Darwick, joined out in Chicago by my brother, Tyler Darwick. Tyler, happy uh, Rosh Hashanah here. Happy Rosh Hashanah. It's the new year in the Jewish calendar. New year means new us. We got destroyed last week. Yeah, Shana Tova. I needed, I needed this new year. It needed to happen. October here, September's in the past, uh, but yeah, we did not have the Sunday Scaries pod this past week. Um, it probably would have been really good content because Sunday was a disaster. Um, my lock of the week lost. All the action I put in did not hit, um, and we somehow managed to do pretty well in our pick'em pool that we do. And and I like I think my New Year's resolution for this Jewish New Year is to tail our pick'em pod picks. Or our pick 'em pool pick, sorry, um, because I think that's the best way to get some returns here. Definitely, we said it a couple weeks ago. We didn't listen. I think now <laughs> we've been we've been broken down mentally enough to finally start following those picks because we did well, even in a week in the pool where, you know, to our typical standards, we didn't do great. Still did better there than just following our own picks and teasers and parlays. So we're cutting that out. I did have one. Good victory on Sunday. My lock of the week did hit. Bears minus two and a half. Cody, when are you just going to bow down to me? And any thought you have on Kirk? Bow down? Just just (laughs) bow down. (laughs) Bow down. That's that's an interesting way to phrase it. I mean, I would have loved to see what happens if uh, Trubisky doesn't get hurt on literally the first drive of the game. Um, You didn't let me finish. I didn't mean about every pick. I'm not right on every pick. We know that. But just when it comes to Kirk Cousins, I've been spot on. Even tailing him in games when I know he's going to play well versus crappier teams so I I see both ways I see Kirk Cousins and honestly I feel bad for him Adam Thielen's comments (laughs) after the game like were hard to watch it reminds me of like when you see a video of little kids going to basketball camps with like NBA players and they're trying to get shots over the NBA player and it's Shaq or somebody and they're just stuffing them at the rim constantly. That's just Kirk Cousins trying to do like anything positive for this Vikings team. It's it's getting bad. Yeah, I mean Adam Thielen said after the game they need to be able to throw the ball. That's that's a direct shot at one person and one person only. Um, yeah, I mean Kirk Cousins. I 
I said before the season, I like them to win the NFC North. I like the odds. It's a really talented team. All these things still hold true. However, Kirk Cousins continues to regress more and more by the week. Um, Am I fully off on the Minnesota Vikings? I'm getting close. I'm getting close. I'm not there yet. We're not talking about them anymore because that loss was off. I mean, I, I tweeted out, bookies should be able to pay you out for losing every single bet you take. There should be some kind of insurance or loser parlay. I would have hit on Sunday. It was that impressive. Um, but you know what? Like you said, new year, new us, October, new month. We're feeling good. We're feeling good, Juju. And honestly, Tyler, our lock of the week record is pretty good. We're both 3-1. and one, And we're 10-9-1 and one on picks we've given out on the Pick'em Pod. So, all in all, that's that's okay. We're okay. Um, we're doing well. I, I sound a little panicked, but I'm okay. Um, but <laughs> so, some betting trends through week four. We got to highlight this, Tyler. You sent me. You sent this to me before the pod. Underdogs are eating this year. They are 38, 24, and one against the spread. Road teams are 40, 22, and one against the spread. And teams getting less than 50 percent of the action are 37, 25, and one against the spread. So, what does that mean, Tyler? Fade the public. That's uh, been profitable. Yeah, it's crazy. The underdogs against the spread, like you said, have been doing great. And up until last week, they were doing well, but they weren't like big underdogs, I should say, weren't winning. But no. last week, that that just stopped. The Raiders won. The Browns won. The Bucks won. So any teasers we've had the first few weeks, we're still winning for the most part. Last mm-hmm. week, they got blown up. Everyone got blown up. And we had Jake Burns on from the Browns film Breakdown Pod, which was great. Another Blue Wire podcaster. And he talked about the first four weeks kind of being, uh, you know, kind of like the preseason now that guys don't play. So maybe the first four weeks, we put that away. Fresh start. These guys are ready. And so are we. Yeah, well done. I like the way you spun that. But yeah, we we got to talk to Jake about the Monday night football game. Uh, Browns Niners. That's coming up towards the tail end of the pod. So that was good stuff. And he he really knows his X's and O's. So it was fun to talk to him. Tyler, let's hop into it. Week five. As some would say, as our guy Jake Burns would say, week one of the real season starts now. Starts now for us as well. The Seahawks are hosting the Rams. Seattle's minus one and a half. Over-unders 49 and a half in this one. The Rams actually opened as road favorites, and it swung back the other way here. Um, Where do you see this game going, Tyler? Rams just got worked by the Tampa Bay Bucks at home, and Seattle kind of took care of business against Cardinals. Um, I don't don't really know what to make of these two teams. This would feel like you usually like a great spot for a team like the Rams that, you know, made the Super Bowl last year, obviously had a ton of expectations coming off a bad loss. You'd think this would be a great bounce back opportunity for them under McVay. They're six and two straight up following a loss margin of victory in those games, seven and a half. But you look at the trends for the Seahawks in prime time with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, and they're like off the charts. So Thursday night games, they're 6-0-2 oh, against the spread, 7-1 straight up. Night games in general under with these two, 26-2 against the spread, 22-5-1 straight up. At home, 12-3-1 against the spread, 14-2 straight up. I know that's a lot of numbers, but to summarize it all, they, they are <laughs> great in prime time together. 
So even though the Rams feel like they're in a great bounce back spot, you just can't go against those trends. Seattle at home, prime time with these two guys is money. Yeah, I I am in the same camp as you. However, I want to throw out a couple of juicy Rams stats. Rams are 7-3 against the spread. Their last 10 against NFC West, and they've covered four of their last five NFC West road games. Um, but last week, let's really quickly hit on it. That Rams buck game all time like red zone game just constantly every two minutes it's like wait really we're actually cutting to this again jared goff threw the ball 68 times which is absolutely insane the team only ran the ball 11 times it's a short week todd Gurley's already came out and spoken against thursday night football essentially saying it was it's a dumb idea uh marcus peters is in concussion protocol and on the flip side of the ball the seahawks I think they're starting to get their mojo back a little bit. Chris Carson posted his first 100-yard game. He finally didn't fumble. They've scored 27-plus in three straight weeks, and Russell Wilson is kind of quietly putting together a nice little case for MVP. He's leading the lead in completion percentage, uh, 73% of his passes he is completing. Um, I'm with you. I like Seattle on this one at home on Thursday Night Football. They're 6-1 and one straight up. Uh, their last seven at home. I think that continues here on a short week. I, I like them in this spot. And you know what I also love here, Tyler? Over under 49 and a half. I love the over. Last year, the two times this team played, the total was 64 and 67, um, which we're both okay at math. That's more than 49 and a half. Yeah, the total feels low, especially the way the Rams played last week. Their defense got torched by Jameis. And you mentioned Marcus Peters is in concussion protocol. I saw he's going to play, which is wild. That hit he took on from Donovan Smith. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think we both just would have probably died right there. But in, yeah. incredible. He might play on a short week on Thursday night. And, you know, I think this is going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be close. But in the end, I just like Russell Wilson a lot more than Goff. I feel like I've watched a lot of the Rams games so far. And Goff just is missing on a lot of throws. I mean, he people have criticized him in the past. I feel like I've somewhat defended him, maybe, especially when they gave him that contract. I didn't think it was awful. Through four weeks, it's not looking great the way he's been playing. He's very inconsistent, can hit guys, and now they're committed to him, so they're going to have to figure something out. But for this game on a short week, I like Russell Wilson the way he's playing. You mentioned the MVP odds, or the MVP, you know, quick case. Mahomes is by far the favorite, but I think, Russell Wilson should be right there uh, behind him. Eight touchdowns, no picks. He's playing really well. The Seattle team is 3-1 at home. I just like those trends in prime time you can't go against. Yeah, and you and you know that crowd is going to be out of control on Thursday Night Football. So we're in agreement there, both on Seattle. As much as it pains me to be in agreement and on Seattle, I just like them in this spot. And I really don't like, I really don't like what we've seen from the Rams here. I don't think they've shown us anything so far they beat a banged up cam newton week one they play the saints week two drew Brees gets hurt um i i'm just i'm just not on board for what they're giving us so far i like seattle on this spot uh so let's hop over to our battle for the nfc south for uh for first place in the nfc south the bucks coming off a massive victory go into new orleans the saints are favored by three and a half at home, obviously, our odds are courtesy of our good friends over at my bookie over under 47 and a half. And you know what? The Saints proved me wrong on Sunday Night Football. I was 
very, very bullish on the Cowboys. And they're 2-0 with Teddy. I mean, and two impressive wins against the Cowboys and at Seattle. Um, you think this is a trend that's going to continue and Jameis is actually going to put together a full season? Is this going to happen? I don't know. Jameis played great last week, but he has he just has his Jameis moments. He throws the pick six, lets <laughs> the Rams almost win the game, come back in that spot. So, you know, for every three steps he takes forward, he takes like five back. So you can never be too uh, sure of a Jameis pick. But like you said, the Saints have won and covered the last two weeks. So I'll give you some stats. Going back to 2016, they split the first two against the spread, covered five out of six. 2017, they were 0-2 the first two weeks against the spread, covered 6-7. Last year, 0-2 again against the spread weeks 1-2, and and they covered 8 straight. straight, So it seems seems like the Saints struggle the first few weeks, and they get their mojo going 12-1 against the spread their last 13 in October. Now, having said all of that, I kind of like the Bucs in this game. Ooh, you like you trust Jameis going into the Superdome here? It's it's a scary thing to say, but I kind of do. The Bucks are seven and three against the spread. Their last ten division games, they beat the Saints last year in the Superdome. Granted, Fitzmagic was playing in that game, but this you know the Saints have played well, like you said, versus two playoff quality teams. And the defense has played really well. They've gotten good contributions from the special teams, but offensively, Teddy Bridgewater has not played that great. He didn't play great uh, Sunday. Uh, the game in Seattle, they you know had those fluky touchdowns. They haven't looked super sharp. This isn't the same offense they had with Breeze. He's only thrown for 370 yards in two total games. I think this Bucks team is getting more confident. They're really good against the run, only allowing 59 yards per game against mm-hmm. the rush. So this Bucks team has confidence. I like the Bucks. Yeah, they. I mean, they have a lot of mojo, and they really. You think about it. That game versus the Giants, they blow that one. Not they're sitting at three and one. I disagree with you though. I'm on the Saints. The Saints' run D has been rock solid. They've only given up 153 yards the last two games against really solid rushing offenses in Seattle and Dallas. I know they had no offensive touchdowns last week at home versus the Cowboys, but I think this week they get right. This Bucks defense is much worse than what they've seen the past couple weeks. I think Teddy feels confident right he has two wins under his belt they're at this point like you almost have to have a sense that they're playing with a little bit of house money in terms of just like keeping the ship afloat until drew Brees comes back i don't think there's anyone that thought they w- would have won both of these games the last couple weeks um i like them at three and a half and i also like the under in this one tyler uh the unders hit in seven out of the last 10 games for the bucks Obviously did not hit last week, but 15 out of the last 21 times these two teams have met, the under has hit. And I think an interesting angle here, if you agree with me and you're on the Saints, I don't see the Saints winning a shootout in this one and covering. I see them going under, so I think like an interesting way to stack it would be taking the Saints with the points and the under, parlaying those two together and uh, hoping for a good old time. <laughs> It's an interesting thought. I saw the same stat on the under, so I agree with you there. But I'm sticking with the Bucks. The Saints are 0-6 against the spread. Their last six as favorites. And a point you mentioned, I'm going to turn back on you. The Saints are playing with house money. They've won two great games in a row. Games people didn't think they were probably going to win. And when Breeze went down, everyone was saying, oh, go 3-3 three and three and they'll be fine. Well, they've already won their first two 
games. I could see a letdown where they just won an emotional Sunday night game at home in the Superdome. Huge win. They come in versus a divisional team, one o'clock game. Maybe a little sluggish to start. The Bucks are confident. Like you said, the Bucks should be three and one. If Bruce Arians didn't have a brain aneurysm and take the lay of game on purpose <laughs> versus the Giants, they're three and one. And you know, you think of them a little differently. So sure. But do we really trust Jameis Winston having a night to sleep in New Orleans before an early kickoff? <laughs> that that that's you think about some, that, yeah. and also they had a long flight across the country to celebrate after a huge win uh, in LA. I'm just I'm just not buying. Like, in terms of entertainment value, Jameis Winston is one of the most entertaining quarterbacks to watch. Just because any given moment, you never know what you're gonna get. Uh, but I'm I'm taking the Saints at home. Three and a, three and a half isn't a whole lot. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm taking that if that was closer to six and a half, seven, I think I'd be more on your side, but three and a half, I'm on the saints and the under and, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see if James shows up for the game. Stop, stop making me feel less confident in the Bucks. I'm taking them. <laughs> Nothing you could do. Let's move on to the next game. Interesting. The way the NFL stacked the schedule on Sunday, only two late afternoon games. So they have Packers Cowboys as the premier late game. They want everyone watching that which will be the case so Packers going to Dallas three and a half point favorites over unders 46 Cody where are you leaning in this one yeah this is an interesting one right because I think both of these teams were kind of the class of the NFC going into last week and both faltered in in big primetime spots uh Green Bay's defense was rolling through the first three weeks only gave up 35 points they gave up 34 on Thursday night versus the Eagles and the Cowboys what they kind of they had a cupcake schedule the first three weeks and they dropped the ball a little bit against the Saints specifically just not being able to convert at all in the red zone um i'm leaning towards cowboys here though at home i i like them a lot um two two main reasons i like them in this spot packers defense is allowing the seventh most rushing yards in the league i see this being a heavy zeke game i think they're gonna feed the rock to him and Devonte adams was having a monster night on Thursday night before he went out with a turf toe injury from early reports. It seems like he's unlikely to play. I think that is a huge loss for them. Um, and, and I think three and a half at home. I, I like the Cowboys in this spot. Dallas is seven and oh straight up their last seven at home. And, uh, I, I like, I like where they're at there, but I don't know, three and a half, not a whole lot, but this feels like a future playoff matchup. It could be. I mean, I feel like these teams play almost every year. I'm going to go against you in this one as well. I like the Packers plus three and a half. Devontae Adams being out is a huge loss. But on the Cowboys side, Tyron Smith is not going to play in this game. He hurt his ankle versus Saints. He's unlikely to play in this one. And you mentioned, you know, the Packers run D got gashed. No Tyron Smith is a huge benefit for them. Also, they just got embarrassed at home on Thursday Night Football. They had a lot of time to prepare for this game. I think they're going to come in motivated. They had a lot of time to review what went wrong versus Eagles and just try to correct that. I can't imagine they're going to play that bad against the run again. And in that game, they still had chances. The red zone offense was awful. It felt like Matt LaFleur, first time head coach, this was his first big moment. And he kind of maybe got a little, you know, the bright lights might've shined down a little too much. He got nervous. They blew that game. In a game, it felt like the Eagles were dominating. Still felt like the Packers should have won at the end. So I like them. They're 6-2 and two against the spread, 7-1 and one straight up their last eight in Dallas. 
in those games, Aaron Rodgers has thrown 15 touchdowns, only one pick. He always plays well versus the Cowboys. He beat them a few years ago in the playoffs when the Cowboys were a heavy favorite. Three and a half. I think this is going to be a field goal game, and I like the Packers just getting that extra rest. Yeah, this this feels like a game that if Dak shows up and plays well, it seems like he's getting that massive contract extension at the end of this one. Uh, I, I think... I do think, obviously, Tyron Smith being out is a huge loss, but I, I just think Zeke, they're going to be able to control the clock, and I don't know that the Packers have enough weapons on the outside. I don't know that I trust Valdez Scantling or Geronimo Allison enough to pick up for what they're going to lose in Devontae Adams, and I, I think the Cowboys are going to be pissed after not being able to convert at all versus the Saints in that spot, and I I don't know. The Packers, to me, didn't really get embarrassed on Thursday Night Football. That was a must-win for the Eagles. They came in. The Packers just couldn't convert in the red zone, and I, I think that uh, the Cowboys get the job done here in Jerry World on Sunday night. The over-under is 46. Do you have any lean on that one? I, I tend to like the, the over in this one. I'm probably not betting it, but it just seems like when these two teams play, it's always high-scoring. The last matchup was 35-31. Packers scored at the end Packers like you said the Eagles were the more desperate team but the defense got embarrassed in that game especially the way the first three weeks had went where they looked so dominant then the Eagles come in absolutely gash them and the Eagles were basically running the same play to the left side of their offense line repeatedly so the defense did get embarrassed in that game Packers are seven and two against the spread their last nine falling it against the spread loss so I like them in the bounce back spot I think it's close and Cowboys defense is good, but look at the quarterbacks they've played. Not exactly murderers row. So I think Rodgers comes in super confident against this team. I think it's a close game. I think it comes down to a field goal at the end. Uh, Packers money line might be intriguing, but I think at three and a half you'll you'll be okay. Yeah, so we're we're on the opposite side again here. This is shaping up for a nice fun one on Sunday. Um, in terms of choosing games for our pick 'em pool, that's always a good time. Uh, Sunday night football, though, we have another. I I really like this uh the slate this week. It does suck that they stack ten games early, only too late. Uh, the Colts go into Kansas City to take on the Chiefs, a rematch of last year's playoff matchup. The Chiefs are 11.5 point home favorites in this one, over under 56.5. Chiefs, they're undefeated, but they did not cover last week versus the Lions, and the Colts kind of got embarrassed at home by the Raiders. A lot of injury concerns for the Colts real quick, Tyler. Before I kick it to you, T.Y., Seems to be a game-time decision. He's still dealing with a quad injury. Marlon Mack has an ankle injury. It seems like he should be good to go from what I'm reading. And Darius Leonard is still in concussion protocol. All that being said, Chiefs, 11.5, a lot at home. Tyler, you think they continue? As you said last week, they are a wagon. (laughs) They are a wagon. (laughs) I mean, in the game, they didn't play great. Mahomes throws no touchdowns. They scored 37 points. Uh, you know, they're 34, they're just always 34. Thank you. They're just always, you know, like I was listening to another podcast. I won't name it today. Yeah, like teams against, teams against them don't run because they're always playing from behind. It's crazy. Carry on Johnson did have a nice game last week, but it always feels like in the majority of games, teams are always playing from behind. You're not able to, you know, have a drive or two where you don't score because the chiefs are always in and come down the Travis Kelsey hook and ladder play to McCoy just 
felt like a video game. This team just seems like on such another level. 11 and a half points does seem like a lot. I'm not really leaning strong in either direction, so you'll you'll have to sway me wherever you are. The Colts are banged up, which isn't great. Um, what are you thinking? So a couple things here. Last year, the Chiefs were 1-2 and two against the spread at home when they're favorites by 10 or more. Their run defense is allowing 150 yards a game. I... I totally agree that the Chiefs offense is out of control. Like this feels similar to the year the Patriots went undefeated and lost to the Giants. Some of the years with the Colts with Peyton Manning when he broke the touchdown record. Like they this is one of the best offenses I can remember watching. And they've been banged up. Like they don't even have Tyree Kill. Like he's potentially coming back this week, but they're down weapons and they're still scoring at all time uh pace. But the thing the thing is in order to cover a spread, you have to stop the other team, and the Chiefs' defense is not good. They've allowed 26 or more in three out of their four games. They're allowing six yards a play, which is insane. I think that some of that's a byproduct of being up so much and probably playing a little bit uh, conservative on defense. But even the Jags in week one with Gardner Minshew the second before we knew who that was, uh, they put up 26. Um I like the Colts in this one, 11 and a half. There are some injury concerns I'm nervous about. What I'm reading, it seems like Marlon Mack is going to play. I think they're going to be able to score with the Chiefs. Um, I don't think they're going to win. I'm not intrigued by the money line. But they are. the Colts are 6-1 and one against the spread. Their last seven road games against teams with winning records. Jacoby Brissett's continued to look really good. Tyler, for our, uh, for our over-under bet... Um, on the Colts, on their total, I was happy they lost, but I also have uh, an angle on the Raiders team wins under. Uh, so that would put me in a little bit of a pickle, but there was a second where there could have been a tie. But uh, I I like the Colts in this spot, plus 11 and a half. Did I convince you or are you fading me? Because last week you did the same thing with the Vikings-Bears game, and then you took the Bears as your lock of the week. So I don't I don't know what to expect here. Yeah, and I was right, but I think I'm with you on this one. Colts are 5-1 and one straight up, 6-0 and oh against the spread. Their last six games before the bye week. It just concerns me with T.Y. Hilton potentially being out, because you take him out, their receivers are not impressive at all. He opens it up. He's a safety blanket for Brissett. If Marlon Mack plays, that is a little encouraging. I'm just, without T.Y. Hilton, I just don't know how this team scores. The Chiefs are going to put up 30 points like how are the Colts scoring 19 20 points without T.Y. Hilton I, I just don't know I know you mentioned the Gardner Minshew thing but it feels like a prime time game in Kansas City the defense will be electrified by the crowd Frank Clark hasn't done a lot yet maybe he gets something going I don't know it's just if the Colts were a little more healthy I'd feel more confident but I'm just I'm on the fence I'm also Part of this is the bounce back angle. I think if the Colts take care of business at home versus Raiders, which they're a better team than the Oakland Raiders. I know they're both two and two at this point, but they they are. I think this line reads more like Colts minus eight and a half or eight. So I think you get like three to two and a half points of value. And I I just think 11 and a half is too much. I think Frank Reich is too good of a coach. They're going to be able to score on this Chiefs. this Chiefs defense, they just are, even without T.Y. Hilton. All right, I'll I'll ride it with you, but this is you know this is your pick, so if I get it wrong, I'm just gonna blame you. 
classic millennial just taking no ownership um un- <laughs> unbelievable see it in the workforce see it here too uh but let's we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break have some words from our sponsors kick it to the interview with jake and then finish up with our lock of the week every guy looks better and feels more confident when he puts on a suit there's one problem guys keep buying generic off-the-rack suits that's why blue wire is pumped to partner with indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit Indochino is the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Looking to get married? They have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's so easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally or measure at home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, Full Slate listeners get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE for any premium suit for just $369, and that includes free shipping. This is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Blue Wire listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in blue. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code blue. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. All right, and we are excited to welcome to the Full Slate Airwaves, Jake Burns, Cleveland Browns film analyst for the Orange and Brown Report and host of Browns Film Breakdown, a podcast on our very own Blue Wire Network. Jake, how you doing this evening? I'm great, fellows. I'm great. Just uh, just watching some of this film, writing a little bit for, uh, like you said, the OBR. And, um, you know, I can't complain if I wanted to. Yeah, we're excited to have you on, Jake. Let's get right into it. I noticed on your podcast, Brown's Film Breakdown, the first soundbite is of Colin Cowherd saying Baker Mayfield is undraftable. Do all Browns fans just despise Colin Cowherd? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. I think most people seem to... uh seem to find them pretty annoying i mean you know between baker always seeming to to chirp back at him and all of that stuff it's you know it, it the, the the people don't undersell understand that those guys have to sell they have to sell clicks they have to sell views and they do it by going after people sometimes and taking hard stances i'm sure if you got colin coward behind closed doors with the you know some truth serum some some alcohol he's probably admits that he, he likes a lot about baker but, uh, you know, he, th- those guys fall for it. And Baker falls for it, too, sometimes. And when Baker falls for it and 
has to say something back, then the fans feel inclined to back up their quarterback. And mm-hmm. yeah, I would say it's safe to say most of the fan base hates him, but it's like, you know, Collins a successful dude doing solo acts forever. So he's uh he's one of the best. It's just, you know, if he takes a hard stance against your guy, you you feel like he's he's stepping into your living room and and peeing on the couch or something. So people get pissed. <laughs> You know, and the Browns finally have a quarterback, right? I mean, they, they finally have a quarterback for the first time in, God, 30 years. So it's like, you're not going to talk about him that way. So so, yeah. so we're not counting uh, Derek Anderson in that one-year run? Hey, yeah, DA had a nice run, man. He's a West Coast guy. But uh, no, we don't count Derek Anderson. We, we like him. He was fine. <laughs> yeah. He, he was the ultimate, like, dangle the carrot in front of your face. He, we thought DA might be this really good quarterback, and he was young still, obviously, and and uh, and then it just the rug got straight pulled out from underneath everybody when 2008 hit, and it was like that everybody took such a hard turn on him. It's pretty funny looking back on it how quickly everybody turned on him. <laughs> yeah, one one hit wonder there, but obviously the Browns coming into the season, a ton of hype. I'm sure you were fired up, and then week one the way it starts, you guys get trounced right, 43 to 13 to the tight ends. Everyone's like, ah, this team's overhyped, and. You, you find yourself a quarter of the way through the season, two and two, coming off a big win on Sunday versus the Ravens, and you're atop the AFC North. So how do you comprehend this start, and, and where's your head at right here as a, as a Browns fan? Yeah, I think it's easy to overreact, right? You're a quarter of the way into the season, and, and, and overreactions are key because you spend so much time in the NFL offseason. You know, what do you get? You get, like— eight months of off season and four months of season. So you're like all this anticipation and build up, And then one week, one, two, three, and four, which is almost like in its own way, it's turned into like the pseudo preseason where it, it finally feels like those guys finally have four games under their belt worth of reps. And it feels like everybody's warmed up. So I've almost started to think week five is like week one. So if you can come out of the first four weeks without feeling underwhelmed or, you know, that you come out of it, Oh, and four, something crazy like that. You have a pretty good shot going forward. Now you want to win those games. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time, those first four games is where you finally start to see some gelling. So it's interesting to me. Like a, you know, you said that the the Titans trounced the Browns, and if you look at it on paper, and maybe check just little box scores or whatever, it does look like that. Like it was a forty to I don't know thirteen final, but it's it's easy to forget. And almost ironic that the Browns also beat the Ravens 40 to 25. And those two games really mirrored each other in terms of uh, the Ravens cut it to, uh, well, I'll go back to week one. The Browns had it 15-13 late in the third quarter. It was actually um, the Browns had scored to go, like I said, cut it to 15-13. And then just a really weird fluke play happens late in the third quarter. Uh, Derrick Henry catches a, they run a zone a naked bootleg off of a zone action and then throw it all the way back to the running back off the play action. He runs 75 yards on touchdown the sideline. All of a sudden it's then a two score game. You go into the fourth quarter at 22, 13 Baker throws a pick. Then the Titans score quickly on a couple little silly late interceptions, but it's like the, that game was really close. And Mayfield was, is one of the best graded quarterbacks in the, in the, in pro football focuses metrics, uh, metric data for the first three quarters, but just a weird fourth quarter where he, he makes one errant throw and then a couple goofy tipped interceptions happen on a miscommunication and a poor throw uh, that didn't have any effect on the game. But then it becomes 40 to 13. It looks like a trouncing. The same thing happened week four, the Browns are 40 to 25, but it was 24, 18 at the, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, the, the Ravens scored to, to cut it, 
uh, to a touchdown game, and then they went for two and got it. The Browns get it after the kickoff, have a false start, and then all of a sudden they they they, they pop loose a pin pull sweep for 88 yards, <laughs> and it's it's a two score game. And then the Ravens press and they go for it on fourth and three in their own territory. It's just how it works in the NFL. You get down a couple scores in the fourth quarter, you can press a little bit. The game becomes an uglier score than what it really was. So those two are really funny that they mirror each other like that. But in between there, they played the Jets, and you know the Jets are at that time had just lost Sam Darnold and. Trevor Simeon breaks his ankle in that game. The Browns comfortably win. And then week three, they they had chances against the Rams, but um, it's a good team. I think the Browns are a good team is where I sit at. They're, they're fine. They got a ton of talent. They can play with anybody, um, but their offense was pretty dead in the, in, I'm sorry, I'm rambling here. You guys can cut me off if you have a question, but like <laughs> they, 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 they um, they've had a stagnant offense the first three weeks. Freddie Kitchens, the head coach, integrating what he was successful with the last half of last year for 49ers fans. He took over week nine, called plays the rest of the year, was really effective, found a really great rhythm with Baker Mayfield. They they connected. He gets the head coaching job. He brings in, um, you know, Todd Munkin, who was with uh, Dirk Cutter in Tampa Bay. Dirk loses his job. Todd's a free agent coach. He comes in as the offensive coordinator. Tampa Bay obviously pushes the ball downfield a ton and did so last year with Todd Monken calling plays. And that's his big M.O., Todd Monken's explosive play. So the Browns, the first three weeks, you know, sat in 11 personnel, three wide receivers, one tight end. And were very predictable, taking shots downfield, long developing routes. Didn't really have a rhythm. Week four now, they finally put it together in terms of doing some of the different stuff that they're mm-hmm. good at. Multiple tight ends, more motions, all of those things. And it was a really good formula, and they were very effective. So Browns fans, kind of the connection that we're all trying to make here is, what the hell happened the first three weeks? Why did week four look so different? And is week four is week four going to be the normal thing going forward? So that's what we're, we're trying to figure out. I break down film nonstop. The name of my podcast is Breaking Down Film, and um, I do it as, a, as an analyst. So as my job. So it's kind of what I'm looking at. And it's just like this is the offense we all expected. So to have it sort of feel like you expect it to feel, Browns fans feel pretty positive about where they're at offensively. Going with the defense – who has been really an effective group through four weeks, despite missing their entire secondary for two whole weeks. They just got back to Marius Randall. So they're, they're kind of getting healthier in the secondary to finally come back and be full strength. But that defense has been really pretty solid the first four weeks, even while being pretty dinged up. So that's a lot of shit I threw at you guys. Hope you make this podcast explicit, but that's sort of the state of the Browns as they sit right now. It, it was a lot, but is a good breakdown for anyone who might not have been following the Browns, which I don't know if anyone has. Like we said, they're so hyped up, so much hoopla coming into the year. Seems like every week they're the top team talked about on the uh, you know debate shows. So where do you stand through four weeks with Freddie Kitchens as a head coach? Because it felt like after that Rams debacle, the fourth and nine draw, like you said, you're a film analyst. What did your analysis take away from that fourth and nine draw play versus Rams on Sunday night? Yeah, I mean, it was a bad call. It, it, there's there's no way in which that play was a good call. Now, the dynamic behind it, whether Freddie called two plays and Baker could pick or whether Baker had the ability to check out of that play, I don't know. That's stuff you don't know unless you're behind closed doors in the training facilities. But it's it's on the surface from what the fans can see. It's a terrible it's a terrible call. There's no way around it. Situational football, any of it. It was it was bad and it was on prime time and it was right in front of the public. And it was terrible. And I think that was the culmination of three bad weeks of, of whatever the Browns were doing. They weren't cohesive doing it. They were they were you know, I tell this because people want the answer. You know, you guys probably get these questions, too, if you if you talk about the 49ers a lot is what what's wrong with the offense, which is such a general question. And it's like in the NFL, if an offense isn't working, 
there's probably multiple levels of it failing. If there's one thing wrong with an offense outside of a quarterback, if there's one thing wrong with an offense, they can fix it. You can find a way to fix it. You can find a way to, to get better left guard player. You can find a way to get a wide receiver who runs a slant the right way at the right time. Those things are fixable. If there's one thing, you can figure it out. But the Browns were like, okay, this week tackles didn't play well. Um, this week Baker's leaving pockets too soon. This week the, 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 the play calling wasn't effective situationally and they weren't being creative. Or a guard gets blown up by Aaron Donald. Like, though, it was just like every Every play, something was going wrong, and that's what happens. It's a lack of cohesion, and it sort of culminated in that fourth and nine, and then the goal line situation there against the Rams just after that, a drive after that, where mm-hmm. they they run four straight plays, and they 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 don't run it once. They have one timeout, forty seconds inside the five yard line. Don't run it one time. They throw four times, never find anybody's hands, and they lose that football game, twenty to thirteen. So it's it's just like. Um, with with Freddie, I felt like Freddie was being pulled. He, this is his first time being a head coach. His real, his truly first time being involved in something he's in front of. Now he had the offense last year, but he had a lot of minds. Uh, Ken Zampisi, who was the Cincinnati offensive coordinator the year before, for half the year before he got fired. Just a lot of people that weren't saying like we should totally listen to Freddie because he was sort of appointed and anointed that by the head by 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 the front office. Many didn't think he earned it, but he earned the head coaching job. So this was his. This is now people listening to him. He's managing his picked selected offensive staff and I think he was letting too many people bend his ear the first three weeks listening to too many uh things outside of what he knows and trusts they feel like they went we the fans we haven't I mean Freddie hasn't outwardly said this because I don't think he would say this but he went back to what he knows and what he believes to work and that's what felt like work week four and um that, that that's the reason we're pretty optimistic it, it can be it can be tough to always gauge these things as an outsider, somebody who doesn't get direct access to the team. And even those who get direct access don't ask these questions, the right questions sometimes. But you want to know, you know, if your if your offense looks completely vastly different, what's the, you know, what's going on? And I think Freddie got back to what he did, what he believes in, and mm-hmm. stopped worrying about the outside forces. And um, it looked good. And I, I have faith. I, I have faith in him. I believed in the head coaching hire at the time. He has to trust who he is and what got him here and work with Mayfield to figure out what things work best for them. I think they went into the year with this idea that they had so much wide receiver talent, which they do have a ton of wide receiver talent, but they thought we can sit in 11 personnel and we can let our quarterback and wide receivers feast. David Njoku breaks his wrist, their tight end, and all of a sudden they lose Callaway, Antonio Callaway, to a four-game suspension. Richard Higgins rolls his ankle in week one, and it's like, okay, we're shorthanded, but we had this plan to sit in 11 personnel, and we're going to see it through. Well, they saw it through, and it didn't work. So they finally trusted their backup tight ends, Demetrius Harris, Ricky Seals-Jones, Farrow Brown. They used all three of them last week. They used more motions. They did less difficult, uh, complex things in terms of what they're asking their quarterback to do, went back to simpler things, and I think they found a way to, uh, to, to sort of find their identity in the process, which is really good. Now, Higgins should be back this week. Callaway's done with his four-game suspension. They have their talent coming back, but it is like, this is who they are. They, they need to trust that this sort of varied personnel group setup is who they are. Run the football with Nick Chubb because he's as elite as they come in the NFL right. and, uh, and, believe, and believe in their process. Right. I, th- I think this this past week definitely showed that, right? Tyler mentioned it. The, the goal line possession versus the Rams, not giving Chubb the ball once uh, when you know you're in four-down territory was a bit mind-boggling. But like you said, it seems like Freddie Kitchen maybe he's – starting to get into his groove um so let's hop to it 
Monday Night Football, we have the Browns at the 49ers. And Tyler and I, before the season, we were kind of looking through uh, other other Blue Wire guests that we could potentially have on from the Blue Wire family. And we circled you as one potential one. And we, we went in and we kind of thought this would be one of the kind of marquee games of the week. And I think a couple weeks ago, we we're like, oh, well, we, it still would be good to have Jake on to talk about the train wreck that the Browns are. But now we actually we actually get a pretty exciting game here on Monday Night Football. Uh, the 49ers are three and a half point favorites over unders 46 and a half. And Jake, just looking at a lot of these historical trends here, um, both sides, given both teams recent struggles of late, I think you kind of have to throw them all out. Um, but with Baker behind center as a road dog of around three or fewer points. The Browns are three and zero straight up two and one against the spread in his career. Um, Browns traveling West, Jake, do you like them in this spot on Monday night football? Do you think they show up? It's, they have a really brutal three game stretch coming up. I believe it's, uh, at the Niners Seahawks and they play the Pats, I think following their by. So tough three game stretch, Jake, where do you stand with, uh, this matchup here on Monday night football? <clears throat> yeah, great, great points there. Um, he, 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 if you would have asked this question before Sunday, I was very apprehensive about it. But it, it just, it just felt like they found something in Baltimore. Whether it, it is, it is cohesion, it's confidence, it's all the above. Getting some of their bodies back healthy. Um, if the 49ers would have caught the Browns traveling west a week earlier, I think it would have been a comfortable win for them. But uh, unfortunately for for the 49ers, and I'm not saying the 49ers aren't good. I think I think this is good. The, the, the three and a half line is is money because I think these two teams are as good as each other. And um, but this is a better Browns version. I'll put it that way. Uh, it, this is the best version the Browns have had since the start of the season. They're relative. They're getting relatively healthy at the right time. They're getting bodies back. And um, I, I feel okay about it. Anytime you travel west, though, it's tough. It's just it's tough because of so many different factors. But like you said, we kind of feel okay about it because Mayfield typically handles these situations okay. Um, and I think if the offense hadn't had this sort of comfortable performance against Baltimore, who has given them some issues, especially in the run game, uh, it had given them issues so many so many years in the past. I think people would feel less confident about it. But trust me, I don't feel confident in any way. Like Browns will forever be until they consistently win year in year out and prove it mode for me. So it is a big prove it game because I think the 49ers have an immense amount of talent at the right positions and do some fun wrinkles offensively. Obviously, the Browns have a heavy connection to Kyle Shanahan. Uh, the last time the Browns had any relative success, they were seven and four with Shanahan as the offensive coordinator before Brian Hoyer decided to just ghost whatever he was and they had to put in Johnny Manziel as a rookie and that season finished seven to nine but that truly is guys the last time the Browns have had a truly balanced offense there was a heavy connection to Kyle Shanahan Kyle Shanahan didn't want it out put out the infamous PowerPoint presentation on why he should be let out of his contract and uh, got out of it went to uh Went to, went to Atlanta, found obvious success in Atlanta, then found a head coaching job. I think this is the first time Kyle plays Cleveland. Is, is his coached offense or um, his coach as a head coach situation has found the Browns. I could be wrong on that, but I'm, I'm, I'm fairly positive. So yeah. I'm sure there will be a little bit of a uh, um, you know get back for, for Kyle. I think you guys will put out some creative stuff, and especially being on primetime, he'll want to put, put some of this stuff on display. And uh, he's, he's one of the best at creating wrinkles in that zone scheme. So, um, but, you know, to answer your question, I, 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 
I feel more confident than I did a week ago. I, th- I still think anytime you're traveling out West, it's tough to feel like, man, we're going to win this football game unless you're playing somebody depleted. But, uh, I think the Browns have every bit of the ability to go toe-to-toe with the 49ers, especially even on the West Coast. And it should be a really fun primetime game if both teams show up. Yeah, I think it's a perfect game for the 49ers as well. <clears throat> Obviously, starting 3-0 is great, but people are questioning it. The strength of schedule hasn't been great yet. Playing Tampa, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh. So getting a chance to go up against the Browns, <clears throat> a very hyped-up team, will be good. As you guys mentioned, both these teams have struggled, but there are some good trends. The Browns are 5-1 and one against the spread. They're last six on the road. 49ers are 12-2 and two against the spread. They're last 14 Monday night games. So those are some positives. I would feel better about the 49ers. Kella Witherspoon, their second cornerback, got hurt. He's going to miss the game. And like you said, Jake, the Browns are getting Higgins back, Antonio Callaway off suspension. All those weapons do make me nervous with the banged-up 49er secondary. However, coming off the bye, I do like the 49ers. I think Shanahan had an extra week to get this team prepared, get some of the, the wrinkles they had out versus Steelers with the five turnovers. So I do think this will be a really fun game. Minus three, feels, three and a half feels like the right line because these teams are basically evenly matched. Just a home you know, home bump. So I like the 49ers three and a half. I know I'm biased, but that's where I'm <laughs> leaning. Yeah. Hey, well, we, yeah, uh... yeah, you should. You should. I mean, the Browns have to view it as, as this is a big game for them. I mean, you always kind of creep ahead. Of, everybody does the cliche. We, you know, we're, we're focused on this team. The Browns have the, you know, they, they, they host Seattle. Um, you know, now it's a one o'clock game, which those are always advantageous for a team traveling West to East. Um, but it's a tough game. I mean, Seattle's very good. You guys know that. And then they, right. they have a bye week, and then they have New England. They don't want to go into the softer second half of the schedule. The Browns have the the Steelers, Bengals twice, Cardinals, the the the, the Bills, and the and the uh, Dolphins all in the second half. They have a super negotiable second half of the season, but they don't want to go into it two and five. They would like to go into that three and four, four and three. And I'm I'm guaranteeing they're circling this game as one that they feel that they should win. The beautiful part, guys, is like you said, you're confident. I'm confident. Both sides should be feeling confident. And that's mm-hmm. why I think it's a good, it's going to be a good football game. Um, and I, I do have one question. I haven't really looked at it yet. Cause I haven't had, I haven't turned my attention for United is, is uh, Staley back or is he not, is he not playing? No, he's Staley, out. he's, he's out. I think he's going to be out for probably another five six weeks the earliest so that's that's a big loss okay. um who they played at left tackle it's who is it ta- uh justin school 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 he's a he's rookie, a rookie. yeah okay. joe staley took him had him over his house for dinner uh before week three so some veteran leadership there but he he got exposed a couple times the last game so that is something to keep uh our eye on but in terms of a pick Obviously, Tyler and I are biased here as huge 49ers fans, but the thing I like the angle here is um, I think they're going to be able to get some pressure on Baker Mayfield. They've This 49ers defense has nine sacks through three games, and week one, they come out versus Tampa, and we didn't really know what to expect out of Tampa. I still don't totally know what to expect out of them, but they held yeah. that team to 17 points. Same Bucks team that went into L.A. and just put up 55 on the Rams. 
So I think this 49ers pass, pass rush is for real. If they can get some pressure on Mayfield and control the clock in terms of on the offensive side of the ball, uh, they have the second best rushing offense in the league. They're averaging 175 yards a game on the ground. They get Tevin Coleman back, just another weapon for Kyle Shanahan, who's just kind of a mastermind and likes throwing all these different toys into the pot and seeing what happens here. Um, I, I do like the 49ers. I think the extra week of rest will will help them in this spot. Um, so three and a half to me feels I, I, maybe there is a little bit of a letdown factor for the Browns coming off that massive win versus a division rival. Uh, maybe they're reading a little bit of the press clippings of them uh, getting their act together. Um, so I, I do like them. And I, I do feel like the 49ers are a little underrated still at this point. I know they haven't played the toughest schedule, but their defense is legit. And Jimmy G seems to get more and more confidence each game. So I think this will be a big spot for him. Last time we saw him on Monday Night Football was uh, in the preseason against the Broncos, which was an absolute disaster of a game. So Brutal. Uh, yeah, so hopefully <laughs> hopefully we uh, we get better than that. But, um, Jake, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been awesome. Where can our listeners follow you at, especially all of our Cleveland Brown listeners? Tyler and I both listened to your podcast before this one, and if you want in-depth analysis, that's that's the one for you. Yeah, all seven of the Browns fans who listen to you out on the West Coast who, uh, <laughs> who want to follow me. Uh, yeah, Jake uh, at Jake underscore Burns 18. Uh, if there's any Browns fans on the West Coast who love the Niners and the Browns, like our, our guy at Blue Wire, Kevin, Kevin Jones. Uh, I'm going to have him talk with Kevin a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. If there are any Browns guys out there who want to, I mean, I'm all Browns, everything on Twitter. I don't have any good jokes or anything like that. So you're just going to be filled your timeline with, with Brown stuff. But yeah, like I said, at Jake underscore Burns 18. And then I do the Browns film breakdown, uh, podcast, which you can find on, uh, on Apple iTunes and stuff under the blue wire network. If, if you're interested, so I'll do a 49ers preview myself that I'll get up probably, Thursday or so. Yeah, it'll it'll be an analytical X and O's personnel breakdown conversation type stuff. So yeah, it's fascinating. It's gonna be a fun game. It's gonna be a really fun game. I think both teams are confident and um you know, at the end of the day with these Monday night games, I just hope they're entertaining. Yeah, exactly. And lucky for you, Jake, we are uh Tyler and I are actually from the East Coast. I went to school in Indiana, so we do have we do have some Ohio contingent that are listening to the pod and and looking for some gambling picks. So uh, I'm sure I'm sure they'll throw you a follow. But uh, yeah, well, thanks. I'll say I like the Browns to cover. How about right. that? It's my all right. Okay. So, all so we right. Bounce, so we bounce. All right. Now, now I'm not saying the 49ers don't kick a field goal to win it, but I like getting three and a half points. I think that's that's good for where the Browns are right now. All right, we'll have to uh, stay tuned to see what happens with that one. But thanks again, Jake. Hey, no problem, guys. My pleasure. And thanks again to Jake for joining us to discuss the upcoming Browns 49ers game. Hopefully the 49ers win and cover, and we Mm -hmm. could have some good back and forth with Jake there. Now, Cody, let's move into our locks of the week. We're both 3-1. and I'm coming off another win. You're coming (laughs) off your first loss. Uh, you kept saying how you're undefeated, so I'm glad that ended now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start. Did you, did you win last week, Tyler? I Before did. Before we I, Okay. You won last. And you took – you you bet against Kirk Cousins, right? I did. I don't know why okay. you wouldn't do it. It's pretty easy. No, no. Um, I, yeah, I just, I just wanted to make sure everyone everyone knew that. Okay. Uh, sorry. I interrupted you. I'll, I'll let you start, actually. I think I won first last week. It would only be courteous of me to let you start. Oh, wow. 
Uh, you may be younger, but you're maturing so quickly. It's well, you're it's you're a, you're a leap year birthday, so it's nice it, to it see. That's weird. It's nice to see. Um, all right, yes. So coming off a loss, looking at this slate, one game real quick popped out to me as an all-time do not bet, stay away, run for the hills. Uh, Falcons, Texans, just don't, don't do it. Um, as as a recovering Texans better, um, and over the years having my issues with the Falcons, just stay, just don't do that. Um, but my lock of the week, Tyler. I'm eyeing the New England Patriots at the Washington Redskins. Now, <laughs> now uh, the, the Pats are 16-point road favorites, obviously going off the lines, my bookie. Now, the, the Pats won last week, right? They won 16-10. It was ugly. It was gross. Brady only threw for 150 yards and, and an interception in the red zone. He looked terrible. But the Pats have had a lot of success as a favorite when it comes to double-digit favorites in particular. They've, they've covered eight out of the last ten. This Pats defense, you said the Chiefs are a wagon, their offense specifically. Well, the Pats defense is an absolute wagon. Four interceptions and five sacks last week on the road against Buffalo in the biggest game there in years. And they showed up, and for the most part, they did they did their part. Now, the Patriots also, if you remember, did not cover against the Jets the week prior. So the Pats, who are everyone's favorite to win the Super Bowl, um, they haven't covered the last two weeks. However, Tyler, they are 7-1 against the spread their last eight after consecutive against the spread losses. So these are all my pro-Pats tidbits. Now, when it comes to the Redskins, real quick... um, the Giants defense is an absolute abomination and this Redskins team, specifically their quarterbacks made their defense look adequate. Case Keenum struggled. He was six of 11, 37 yards and an interception. He has a, a foot injury. He was spotting in a walking boot after the loss. Dwayne Haskins came in. He was not much better. He threw three interceptions on 17 pass attempts. Now Jay Gruden, I think this is Tyler. Now you might get excited here. I think this is Jay Gruden's last game coaching the Washington Redskins. I think they get absolutely embarrassed on Sunday. I think this is a spot where Brady comes in and he is so mad at how poorly he played. He he has a vintage game of three, four touchdowns. We get a little bit of Sony Michelle action. Maybe even Rex Burkhead gets in on the fun. I think the Pats roll. J- Jay Gruden's not even choosing their starting quarterback until Friday. Now, He's choosing between three quarterbacks, Case Keenum, Colt McCoy. Yes, Colt McCoy still in the NFL, and Dwayne Haskins. This is it. Jay Gruden send off. They get rolled. He's out of a job, and I'm 4-1 and one on my locks of the week. Cody, I texted you earlier. I loved my lock of the week. This is, I thought this it was it. easy. This is I'm it. also on the Patriots. Oh, minus baby. Minus oh, 16. Baby. Our second mutual lock of the week, the earlier one this year, was the Bills versus the Giants. That hit. I'm a little nervous how much I like it because, you know, the past few weeks I've kind of been up in the air struggling to find one. This week this just stood out to me. For all the points you said, of the three quarterbacks you mentioned, I'm most nervous, if I'm nervous at all, if they start Colt McCoy. He's probably the best one out of the three. Really? Yeah, Case Keenum's been terrible this year. I feel bad for Dwayne Haskins. 
they the coaching staff and Jay Gruden was putting out he's not ready to play, and they throw him in last week is just an abomination. They're going to mishandle that situation, and I feel bad for Haskins. I don't think that's the best team to be with. Um, a couple other reasons I like the Pats. So first first half point differentials this year, the Patriots lead the league, outscoring opponents by nearly 16 points a game in the first half. The Redskins are towards the bottom, getting outscored by 8.25 points in the first half per game. So I see the Patriots getting out to a big lead in this one. Like you said, Brady's pissed. He played terrible last week. He has a bounce back game. I think there will be a lot of Patriot fans there also. Redskins fans hate this team, hate Dan Snyder. They're going to start boycotting games. Um, so I think it's going to be a pretty favorable crowd for New England. Brady bounce back. The defense is great. I don't see how the Redskins score more than 10 points. It's it's the same case as when I bet on the Jets a couple weeks ago when they were or sorry on the Pats against the Jets when the Pats were three touchdown favorites. I just don't I don't think the Redskins are going to be able to score enough points to cover the spread barring some absolute fluky things happening. And I know the Pats won that game in Buffalo. The defense was fired up, but I think that offense is absolutely furious with how they played. This is a big bounce back spot for them. And what better opponent than this Washington Redskins team that made Mitch Trubisky look good on Monday night football a couple weeks ago. So Tyler, should we, I guess if this doesn't hit since it's a mutual joint lock of the week, it's huge for the record six and two. If it doesn't hit, we'll raffle off a t-shirt. We'll give out another t-shirt. How about that? Sure, I guess we can, um, but I think I'm pretty confident this we is going to hit. We won't. They'll have to buy their t-shirts. Our listeners will have to buy their t-shirts. This is definitely going to hit. Yeah, the Redskins are garbage. They're giving up out of 14, their defense out of 14 red zone uh, drives. Opponents have gone in. Nine have resulted in touchdowns. It's bottom 10 in the league. The Patriots are going to walk all over them. Their offense has... You know, struggled last week against the Jets. They weren't super sharp, so I think they're going to want to get some momentum going. Brady's pissed. I'm sure Belichick tore them a new one in their Monday morning meeting. I just think this is easy. The Redskins are terrible. If you had to say right now, who do you say is worse, the Redskins or the Dolphins? Oh, Dolphins. It's not really close in my mind. I don't know. The The Redskins are creeping there. Denver's terrible. There's some there's some really bad teams at the bottom. Yeah, I mean, and until the Jets get Darnold back, there let's not forget what's going on there. Um, yeah, some some really bad teams at the bottom. I am very excited we are on the same lock of the week because that always brings like an extra layer of just kind of terror and intrigue. Um, but yeah, if when it hits, we will not be raffling off a T-shirt. But if in some world Colt McCoy brings back his UT days and and they cover and or win, we'll 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 raffle off a T-shirt. Um, but Tyler, I think this ra- actually real quick before we go, I am going in person on Sunday to see the Giants play Kirk Cousins. Do you think Kirk Cousins will let me on the field as someone that's defended him? Yeah, you're one of the last. Kirk Cousins supporters out there, he should. Uh, maybe it'll give him a little confidence seeing you in the stands. So <laughs> hopefully he could uh, right the ship. That should be a good game. I, the Giants fans are going to be electric with Danny Dimes getting some momentum going. And, you know, they're 2-2 two and two right in it. 13 
quick stat: thirteen out of the sixteen teams in the NFC are two and two or better. So it's any everyone's still alive pretty much, other than you know the Redskins and a couple other teams. So a lot of fun, and hopefully uh, our lock of the week hits. Yeah, let's ride. And we will be back Sunday night for the rest of football season with our usual Sunday scary. So look out for that. And uh, yeah, thanks again for Jake for coming on. And let's go Pats. Oh,